Fall is here, there's a chill in the air, and the Anomaly Film Festival is right around the corner. It's November 8th through the 12th at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. Check it out at AnomalyFilmFest.com. It's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films, action, sci-fi, horror, dark comedy, and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen. It's Anomaly Film Fest at the Little Theater, November 8th through 12th, AnomalyFilmFest.com. Masters of Couch Potato Style Punches and Popcorn Welcome back, Punches and Popcorn crew to another entry in our Ninja November Your Couch Potato Ninjas are here to walk you through uh, an exciting film and the conclusion of the canon films ninja trilogy but before we do that i want to introduce our couch potato ninjas who are with us here tonight i again i am your host mike huntone i am here to dive into the ways of the uh potato couch potato variety ninja-ing and that's about as much as i have intelligence to say right now i'm still just uh flabbergasted in a good way about this movie we're gonna talk about tonight uh, sadly, we are missing our magic man, Matt Knotts. He is knee-deep in the Western New York Kumite Ninja edition. So I uh, hope he makes it out alive and comes back with a story to tell and uh, you know maybe plucks a few eyes with some shuriken. So good luck, Matt. All right, but the rest of our Couch Potato crew is here. First, we have the, our genius ambassador, Jason Bills. Good evening. <laughs> nice succinct to the point yeah and our movie (laughs) it's we can't hold back too much this is an exciting movie (laughs) but before that we have to introduce our walking weapon the professor dr dominic demore you guys had a hankering for v8 because i have i don't know why i just i just want the tomato juice and (laughs) carrot juice poured all over me i don't i don't it's just weird craving do you guys feel the same i don't know (laughs) i've been feeling that way too myself yeah it's 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 uncanny well something else uncanny speaking of uncanny things let's talk about tonight's film in 1984 the canon film super team of globus and golden would bring their groundbreaking ninja trilogy to a close with an unforgettable film that was one part exorcist one part poltergeist and all ninja. Following Revenge of the Ninja, director Sam Furstenberg would team once again with new ninja star Shokasugi to bring us Ninja 3, The Domination, that would take the ninja film to places it had never been before. Arcade game haunting, earth drilling, katana floating, and V8 slathering. This film would continue Shokasugi's rise and basically no one else's. As audiences initially seemed to want to forget the film that left them asking, what did I just watch? But forget it, the world did not. Ninja 3, The Domination has become the very essence of what a cult film is. And tonight we'll discuss this eye-popping film and where it stands in the conclusion to the epic canon film's Ninja Trilogy. So here we are, guys. Uh, Ninja 3, um, we are bringing a close to this I'm so glad we started Ninja November, our first Ninja November, assuming that when this is over, uh, there'll be a world left standing to have another (laughs) Ninja November. Uh, But yeah, this is an exciting movie. These are exciting films. uh, And it's interesting to see kind of the birth of the ninja in pop culture. Um, And I so usually we start off with our initial impressions, but I don't we've been talking about something behind the scenes here, a little more pop a little more depth that we think our show needs do we want to do some reactions or do we want to get into our all new segment guys let's do the segment let's do it let's, let's do both okay. the band-aid jay let's do it <laughs> all right well before we get in too deep into ninja three then we need to begin our words today with the word the gospel that's right we've got an all new segment for you premiering tonight the geniuses gospel of the guillotine so genius <laughs> Yes. We, uh, just a little behind the scenes again, we are our friend Jason here always delivers such amazing knowledge. And uh, we really want to give Jason that opportunity to deliver some of that knowledge 
uh, unabated by my own idiocy. So let's get this started. And Jason, let's help us set the scene with some gospel of the guillotine. You got it. Also, when you uh, responded or asked for the genius, I, I answered yes. So that's that's weird. Um, all right. So Ninja <laughs> 3, the domination. I don't want to just kind of regurgitate what you just said. So I just want to dig into some maybe more punches and popcorn facts in terms of what we're doing and, and what we're building as in far of the, the movie canon that, that we're building, no pun intended. Um, this is the fourth canon film we've done with their movie production house, which is so far in the lead. The second place right now is Shaw Studios with with two movies. So I, I think it's kind of interesting. We're, we're very focused and it's probably mostly just because we've done three canon ninja movies for Ninja November, but it's kind of nice that we're we're showing some canon love early in our, our early days of the podcast. Um, also kind of interesting, the actor we've seen the most is Sho Kasugi because of these three films. Um, the original title holder, and by original, I mean the person in second place is Van Damme, because we've covered two of his films. Um, I just want to also point out um, the the actual director Sam Verstenberg because he's he's pretty interesting character. He was basically, you know, an in-house director for uh, Canon Films. Like they would just have uh, basically scripts or ideas, and he would run with it with whatever screenwriter they they put him with. That's how he got started with the Ninja trilogy. But in conjunction with this, like when Revenge of the Ninja came out, the or might have been this movie, the same year he also directed Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo, also starring our um, lead in this movie, Lucinda Dickey. So, I mean, he was pretty versatile. It sounds like he'd do whatever. And what I do want to quickly point out about him before we move on. Also, fellas, please jump in at any time to stop this rant. Um, he gets the money on the screen. No, I'm not saying. No, I'm oh, going to interrupt you now. No, we are not going to jump in. This segment is no, we you. are enjoying this You're feast. Not getting out of this. All right. No, don't even don't well, say like I don't want to hear it again. I don't want to hear a jump in. It's a rant. No, 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 no. Okay. I want no, you to no, bludgeon no. us with okay, facts. You, got you are chopping our heads off with brilliant knowledge. This is All the guillotine. Right. Continue, genius. It. Okay, thank you both. <laughs> So um, what I like about Furstenberg is he really gets the money on the screen. You know, he's not really like, you know, an amazing technician. There's not a lot of flashy style, but these movies are ultra low budget. I think Revenge of the Ninja was like 700,000 and this was about 2 million, which even in 19 mid 80s is is kind of nothing like and these movies are action packed. We didn't mention on our Revenge of the Ninja episode how terrific that car chase was. I don't know if you call it a car chase. It was like a, a minivan where show, you know, bursts into the uh, front screen of the, the van and just decimates everyone. The van oh, actually yeah. crashes. Another fight ensues and then people get back in the van and it keeps going like it's a pretty like breathless, really terrific, you know, under million dollar budget awesome scene so i'm i'm just really impressed with this guy um also what i love and this is what i really wanted to get into the meat of of my conversation i guess there's two two prongs to this is what i really like about i, I guess you would call this b movie or exploitation cinema is how in the era they'll just grab onto trends so that's why this ninja three the domination is so wacky because they're just like pulling out what's in the ether of the culture at the moment so you get you know, flash dance was huge the year before. So maybe we should, the lead should be an aerobic instructor. Like, sure, why not? And also, um, horror movies are are big at the time. So Poltergeist, um, we can name many more. Like Nightmare on Elm Street came out this year. So there's that's kind of in the air. So like, well, let's let's make it a you know a possession or a a, a horror movie. Let's throw that in there. Even just random stuff like what's hot in the '80s, arcades. So our lead's going to have a, a a haunted arcade. Uh, you know, machine in her home. Like it's, I, but I love it. You know, it's cheesy. It dates it, but it also gives it such personality. And, and this is like an everything, but the kitchen sink approach. And uh, the biggest thing I want to remark about is having a female lead. That's, that's pretty, I don't know if progressive is the word because it, because I think it was just a victim of what was happening. Like, you know, the horror movies at the time, like the final girls starting to be a, a big deal. So they're just like, well, it's a horror movie. The lead should be a female. Um, 
but it, it signed of something was going on then because two months later, or maybe it was a month because this came out in September of 84, a month later, Terminator came out with Linda Hamilton, you know, the iconic Sarah Connor character. Um, the next year we got Red Sonia with Bridget Nielsen. Like there was just oh, yes. something going on where like badass um, ladies were just arriving on the scene, even so, so much so that like in 86, I guess two years after this, maybe a little less, we would get um, Sigourney Weaver, um, as Ripley coming back with aliens, which is kind of interesting because in the second movie, she's way more, you know, action heroine mode versus the first movie where she's kind of like haunted house in space, just trying to, to keep things going. So I, I think it's kind of special. This movie came out before all of those. I'm not saying that it influenced them at any means, but it definitely felt like, you know, breadcrumbs leading towards something more exciting. So that's what really caught my attention with this movie. There's, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I, in terms of my opinion of the movie, because maybe it's time we get to that, how we all thought yeah, about it. Definitely right the, it. Definitely the, the maybe it's, <laughs> it's a bit of a mess, but it's an entertaining mess. So I always have a soft spot for that. I love it. Well, I love all of what I just heard. Great <laughs> facts, great insights. Uh, I Thank you for tying it to kind of what's going on at the time, because I do think all that is really important. And affects a lot of what came out of this movie. So I I friggin' love this movie. This is yeah. uh Dom, you'll have the you have a saying, and I wish I could remember it correctly, that uh uh you can jump in or you know correct me when uh you give your opinion. But it's a movie that like this is not uh, a good movie in right. that like out of critiquing how like the quality of a movie by no measure is this a good movie but it's a good movie i <laughs> yeah. love this this is just wow every moment in this movie like every five minutes you get something that's like wait what like uh, again at the beginning you get the wild like ninja just slaughtering like an entire battalion of cops uh before he's gunned down like jason jason goes to hell style <laughs> and you know you get the aerobic scenes the the arcade games, the, oh, this cop is going into this hot tub with these two girls and she's going to attack him there. But one of the girls, again, I I don't have to, every point in this plot, every every scene is, it just seems, it, it almost seems like Furstenberg and uh, Golan, you know, the I forget the writer I think is, is it Silky? It's Silky, Sil yeah. James yeah. Silky. Like they just were like every, Every scene, we're like, what could we do next that would be wilder than the next? And I just love that it's absolutely insane. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to watch this. It's, again, this is so different from anything we've done, so different from the rest of the Ninja trilogy. This just feels so canon. And I love that you brought out that, like, I'm kind of proud of, uh, again, we're a martial arts movie podcast. Obviously, doing this trilogy all at once sways our statistics a lot. But I kind of am proud of <laughs> right. the fact that early on we're we're heavy canon. And just as a side note that isn't influenced by this, we're also heavy Jean-Claude. Uh, you know, as children yes. of the 80s and 90s, this is kind of the the bones. And I like that this trilogy really formed the bones of the ninja mystique, at least here in America. So, yeah, I could go on, but that's the whole point of this. Dom, what are your Oof. thoughts on this? Movie? Okay, all right, here. So... <laughs> I probably like the movie the least out of all of you because I was so this movie is so to what you said before, it's like there's good movies and then there's like awesome movies, you know, like like that Venn diagram, <laughs> like a movie, you know, there's a, good, a movie that has good mechanics and then there's a movie that's awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. So Ninja Revenge of the Ninja was not a necessarily a good movie, but that movie was freaking awesome. This was half an awesome movie. Like it really was. It had elements that were just nuts. Yeah. Just absolutely nuts and awesome. That first scene with the golf course. Wow. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. But then it lulls at times. And I'm like, okay, this is just bad. Um, so like I had, I kind of swung back and forth. So it's like fun, original songs to keep you going. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So, continue. so like I Don't said, let me interrupt. Go, go. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so like, <laughs> so like, I feel like they, they, they took the good notes from revenge of the ninja and are like, we need these epic fight scenes. We need craziness. We need, you know, the blood and the guns and like, you know, the ninjas in this. So 
So in Ninja, in Revenge of the Ninja and, and Enter the Ninja, the ninja could be human. In this one, there is nothing. They're, they're, they're superheroes. They're literally. How many rounds does it take to take down that ninja? Like a hundred? <laughs> like, it's That's the trick question, Dom, because no bullets can take a ninja. As exactly. we learn, only a ninja can, can kill a ninja. Yeah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I like that stuff. And I like that stuff. <laughs> But the romance part and the part with the cop, like that cop boyfriend, he was terrible, man. Like hairy chest. I give him that. That was an impressive hair suit chest he had. But aside from that, not a great character. Uh, so it's like, you know, what I liked about the movie was the parts that you're supposed to like, you know, but the other parts I was just like, Ugh. but, you know, like. That? But you can survive that because, like, that's what you're going in there for. You're not going in there for for great cinema. I just feel like they didn't play to their strengths as much as they could have. Um, but I agree. But, it's a little the pacing sometimes is a little off, and sometimes those the awesome stuff or even the the like weird stuff is is too spread out. Um, yeah. But I mean, I felt like when watching this, remember that VH1 show, like I love the eighties, like it felt like one of those episodes, but uh, this was an actual movie. Like it's just, it, it just, there's just so much yeah. going on and just baffling stuff. Oh, and I wanted to call this out um, as well is all three of these movies have the most terrific opening scenes. Like yes. the first one, you know, yes. baffling, but it's like, you know, basically a ninja exam. Like we don't know that till the end, but it's just keeps you off right. guard and it's weird. And you kind of just, it makes you sit up. The second one, probably the most <laughs> horrifying is a family being massacred. <laughs> and this one, just as terrific. There's like, what, what else do you want to do in the eighties other than just like massacre a bunch of rich people on a golf course? Like this just, it just feels good. Like what this ninja is up to. He's evil, but he's he's getting rid of some some weird Reagan capitalists. So I, I can get I can get into that. Yeah, what was it? So so I might have missed it, but like that was another thing. I'm like, what was the evil ninja's motivation? I know he's an assassin, and I know he was going to assassinate that guy. Why again was he going to do it? I don't think we know. Maybe just an assignment. Yeah, I don't think we ever know. Because then yeah, after it, that, it's just get revenge on the cops that killed him. Which, by the way, right. is really messed up. They were just doing their job. Like, right. like, <laughs> like, are you really going to get, are you really going to kill these people, men with lives and family, because they killed you while you were slaughtering half a golf course? <laughs> like, like, isn't there a part where you're like, I get it, dude. You know, it, you're just doing your job. Like, what were they supposed to be like? He's a ninja. His ghost might come back and kill me. I'm, I'm, I'm walking away from this. No, it's like, I, I don't know. It's even, Listen, he's a dick. This I, ninja, this ninja is badass. <laughs> the black ninja is badass, but he's a total jerk. Like, come on. Yeah. And I didn't know his motivation. Not that it really mattered. Like, it's that definitely, that's not where I'm suspending my, where like the suspension of my disbelief in this movie stops. Like, what is this character's motivation? I don't really care. I was just wondering. <laughs> yeah. The only background we get really is that when show, um, Kasugi shows up, um, his whole motivation is this assassin killed his, his family. I think again, this poor guy is always family's getting murdered. Uh, but yep. like, so that's all we get. The background is, is that he also <laughs> killed, assassinated others. Like that's all we know about this guy. And he yeah, took his it, eye. He got, it, he got yeah, the uh, butter right. star in the eye treatment. Yeah. And what's up he with sure his patch? Did. It looks like a coaster from a bar. Like, you know, yeah. They oh, have those. Co oh. Yeah. Like what's up with that? <laughs> Do you know that that's what they that is is that and again I don't know weapons at all but that's that base of the um the katana sword you know how it had that yeah like, a stuba is the term for it thank the you yes, thank you Mike there's the knowledge you should be the genius but that they just fed no you know <laughs> uh, whatever material through it and made it a, an eye patch I thought it was pretty cool oh yeah, well, that, that's kind of badass to have a sword yeah, yeah. I, I wondered too I thought when I first saw it I was like. Is that like a, a cop badge or like, uh, so cool. then I thought maybe it was like a token from the golden nugget or something. And <laughs> yeah, it was part of a sword. So that's kind of sweet. I didn't I know that. Saw. I was wondering, cause I was looking at it the whole time and I'm like, what the hell is he wearing on his face? It is distracting. Yeah. But now Me that too. Makes it sense. was, but it was thanks to the wonderful commentary that scream factory added to their disc for this, that I yes. learned that from Sam. That's where I learned too. So also the black ninja, every time he has to become the black ninja and do a job, he needs to climb all the way up to the top of a mountain to get changed. That seems like a lot of work. 
a lot of work. <laughs> and get his that is weapons, really right? inconvenient. Like that's quite yeah. a commute. That's all I gotta say. We don't it's even quite a like why is he storing it there? Why is it there? Like there's just so many questions we don't get answered. Yeah. But I think I think the movie's <laughs> well, the better for it. <laughs> questions are good because as I talked to the guys offline, I said uh, I think I kind of enjoy that. I feel like this entire trilogy answers a series of questions. Enter the Ninja starts out by answering, what is a ninja? Revenge of the Ninja then answers the question, how badass is a ninja? And then this movie, to me, the question it answers, ninjas were gods. Yeah, they were gods. <laughs> yes. Like, like let's, let, let's laundry list it here. The guy gets pumped with, like, I'm, I'm going to assume 50 rounds and almost survives that. Okay. He jumps out of a helicopter. He climbs a tree. He uses his body as a drill. Like, are we going to talk about that? He uses his body as a drill. I hope we do during the oh, science wait. segment. Yeah, I was just going to say, are you going to talk about that? No, I, pr- I got something else. Science. I got something else. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, like, Ooh, a, like any wait. kind of wait. any kind of sports ball is 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 dust in his hand he crushes things like in insanity insane amount of powers it's almost like this is he's crazy like what first of all why does he need to be a ninja he's so powerful he can just waltz onto that golf course and just slash people and he'll be fine (laughs) i mean he's he's absolutely supernatural though so like he's got he's got no limits or rules yeah it's insane so like i wasn't ready for that that first scene so 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 that actually i don't want to say it's a flaw but it actually took me out of the movie because the first scene i was like how the hell did he get on the golf course first of all did he like drive a golf cart in in his ninja suit but whatever he's on the golf course okay and he takes out everyone in ways that don't seem very supernatural and i'm like Okay, this is awesome. And then he gets gunned down by the cops and he like survives that. And I'm like, okay, hold on. Hold on a second. That's impossible. Everything else is possible. (laughs) This is impossible. (laughs) And then the movie went from like action to fantasy, like right away. And it was a little jarring for me, but like it was okay. Cause like I don't think that supernatural ninja thing like really stuck. You know, we talk about how these ninja movies have influenced the ninja lore throughout the 80s and 90s and today. That idea of the ninja being like super duper powerful as opposed to just being a real badass human, that didn't last. So like watching this, you know, what is it? Almost 40 years after the fact, I found that to be a little jarring. But that but I don't hold that against them because that was what they were going for. They're like, all right, like you said. What is a ninja? How badass is a ninja? And now they're like, let's just turn it up to 11 and have the ninja be essentially a superhero or a supervillain right. in this case. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would question, I wonder how much it does, did influence. So it, there is a certain segment of ninja lore that has the like superpowered ninja. You know, one of our movies that we talked about previously, Mortal Kombat, has two ninjas that have otherworldly powers in it. And I wonder so something. I wonder how much this might have influenced things like that type, that type of super ninja. You know, we get the like the teenage mutant ninja turtles that we grew up with and love. And spoiler alert, might be talking about soon. <laughs> uh, they have a mutation, but they aren't like superheroes, right? Even like big GI Joe fans like myself got Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. Like they're more like Revenge of the Ninja type ninjas um you know and even canon films like the movies they would go into next after this that uh Furstenberg would be involved with the American Ninja series would kind of go back to the Enter the Ninja where we got a white guy who kind of knows what a ninja is and that's ninjutsu um so yeah i i it's interesting and i don't know the answer to it um but i wonder like did this influence some of that like did this open the door that Hey, ninjas can be even crazier. Or was it just, uh, again, everyone walked out of there and was like, what did I watch? And then forgot about it for a long time. Because, man, they sure seem to forget about uh, the stars of our movie here. I know uh, uh, Lucinda Dickey. I should yeah. have their all their names right in front of me right now. Yeah, Lucinda Dickey well, you got and right, yeah. Jordan Bennett, the 
our super couple there with just great on-screen chemistry. Like, they basically did almost nothing else after this. Uh, The only person that I was looking like, in a lot of the movies we do, you always find someone like, oh, uh, Jackie Chan was, uh, you know, a stunt artist in this, or John C. Riley was in the bar fight in um, in Above the Law, that kind of stuff. There's none of that here, like, Outside of show Kasugi, who was already the big name coming in, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I guess James Hong was in this. I was going to say, yeah, James Hong's the only thing that I um, got excited about. He's probably the biggest name other than show. And I mean, this movie was another showcase for show. So it isn't like a surprise that he comes out of it. Well, you know, I, I want to comment on what's the lead's name? Lucinda Dickey is her name, right? Yes. Yes. So, yes. so, so I thought she did a pretty good job. Um, yeah. So Lucinda Dickey, like I liked her in this role. Like her acting was meh, right? Right. But like she had, okay, let's face it. In 80s movies, especially 80s exploitation movies, I understand there were a lot of female leads, but the female leads were either these big name stars or were eye candy. They were there mm-hmm. to be pretty. You know, and that is one of the big problems I have with a lot of martial arts movies is the men look like look like that they could they can beat you up. They look physically fit in a way that looks like they exercise and they train and yada, yada, yada. And a lot of the times the women in these movies that are supposedly martial artists are just like they're pretty, but they don't look like they can beat your ass or even take a punch. Lucinda looks like she can. She's in superb shape. She's got big arms, you know. I mean, she's gorgeous. She's very beautiful. But she also looks very strong. That's actually one of my criticisms of Kill Bill. Because Uma Thurman dispatches 100 goons in the first movie. And she does not look like the kind of, you know, she doesn't look physically fit enough to do that. Keep in mind, neither do I. So it's not a criticism of her. It's just if you're going to be in a movie where you look like you can do very athletic feats you should look very athletic and she did and she also brought a physicality to it too which i thought was great so like i i'm surprised she didn't go places because i think i think like she was she was well cast for this movie i really think the guy on the other hand but but she (laughs) she was good i really no i really liked her and i thought I thought this was a good role for her. I thought she did a good job. I thought, you know, she was she was pretty, which is enough of a draw for an exploitation movie, but also like the physicality she brought it. And 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 I like that. I would have liked to have seen her in more things. I think she had potential. It's too bad that she didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, it made me sad too. I, I think I was just like you, even in the beginning, like it's it's pretty exciting to see her because she does have that physical presence. But, you know, it, it, maybe it's not even her fault. But as the movie goes on, I, I kind of started to to drift away from being interested in her. It wasn't really, maybe it was more the script than her acting, but she absolutely had the physical presence. Like, and also just ridiculously fun things like her introduction, which I still don't understand is she's working for like a power line company and she's just like climbing up that power line but she's an aerobic instructor like it's, it's just like all over the place but um i'm i'm right with you on that she, i was ex- yeah what were you saying mike yeah and she and she so she has a really interesting story right like i was reading this is basically her first big film and right. I, the timing of all this is really interesting so she was a dancer before this like that's the where she you know, her shape and muscle and all that comes from dancing. She had no martial arts experience before this. None uh, was just a dancer and had auditioned with Canon, got this job and she was so into it and committed to making, you know, making her, her mark that I'd read. Like she went to like the, uh, whatever. Uh, and it's funny that we, the only person we don't have here tonight is the one of us that works for a telecommunication communication company and could probably give us the right terms but she worked to to like power line school to learn like how to properly do all that stuff even though i heard in the commentary the scene where like she's climbing up the the pole it's actually the uh, stunt coordinator uh, is it steve bennett uh he actually did that part and doubled as her uh but yeah, she was committed to it and again she did this and i i feel the same way that you guys do i thought she was great i think she's really magnetic any of the parts where it gets cheesy and that i don't think was you know the fault of her i think she played into 
the interesting choices that were made in this movie as best she could. And even uh, just some of the wildness of the very plot of this movie with the possession. I can't remember if it was in the commentary or somewhere I read. Like the whole reason they came up with this possession story, aside from the fact that, as Jason said, they're really jumping on the zeitgeist at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like horror and the exorcist and poltergeist is really big. So let's do that. But whether it was the director or show Kasugi, I think I heard this from different places. They're basically like, well, no one would believe a woman could do all this hard stuff. So what's the only way that we could possibly get audiences to believe that are American audiences, I should say, because uh, this is totally different from Japan and Ninja and Japanese movies and Ninja legends in Japan and America. They felt that there's no way the audiences would buy an action hero woman And the only way they could possibly believe it was that if she was actually possessed by this man and basically acting as this man, which is its own discussion on its own. Right. But so when she did this again, she applied a lot of the coordination she had from dancing. And as uh, Jason mentioned, I think the other two movies that she did that were really her only other movies were breaking and break into electric boogaloo. And they actually were both like they're sandwiched around this movie but I read that this was the first movie that she filmed. And then when Ninja 3 came out or finished shooting, uh, Canon decided we have Breakin. She's perfect for this. Let's do Breakin. And they filmed it and released it all after Ninja 3 was completed, then released Ninja 3 after. And they did Breakin 2 like immediately afterwards. I They might have even filmed that before. Ninja 3 the Domination came out and then released Breaking 2 like was just like months after this movie came out. Correct. So she yeah, had this December. really brief window in time where they pumped out all these movies and they had given her a five film contract and but they did all three of these and they kind of the next movie that she was supposed to do was King Solomon's Minds and she the way that she spoke about it in the interview that was on that great Screen Factory disc was basically that her and Canon were like, all right, this has been a lot of Lucinda and Canon time. We're kind of done with this now. And they both walked away. But, uh, you know, she said, again, this is only my interpretation, but sounded with definitely a not a little note of bitterness that the woman that was in King Solomon's mind that took the role she was supposed to have was Sharon Stone. You know, even though she was wasted and above the law, like, she had a pretty good and has a pretty good career now. So, you know, it's interesting that like they really pumped her for all they could in this really short span of time. And then, you know, that was it for her. Interesting. That's that's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah. You know, cause I felt she did a really good job and she definitely had a presence. Um, I feel like that's one of the things that Canon Group tends to do is it like rings out these actors, you know, and cranks out as many movies as possible, which which and then their career kind of goes up and then it goes back down. Show Kazuki is another one like Canon made him famous. And like, why isn't he one of the greatest action stars of all time? His martial arts is great. You know, he's got a screen presence. I think he's a decent actor. He's a handsome guy. Like what exactly? Where, you know, like. And that is a bummer. Yeah. And Mike, yeah. you mentioned that too. Like the, the next sort of ninja thing Canon does is, is American ninja with, you know, with a white lead, um, Michael Dudikoff, who I guess eventually got pretty good at uh, martial arts, but like had no experience prior to the movie starting. So it's like you have, you have show he's terrific. He's got great presence as well. Like, why wouldn't you just keep, you know, it doesn't have to be another, you know, revenge of the ninja sequel, but you know, do something with him like that. But it, it doesn't seems like they, they lost the, the threat on that, unfortunately. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't David Carradine a dancer and not a martial artist? Does anyone know? Because I heard yeah, he wasn't sure. an actual martial artist. I heard he was a dancer. I, I knew well. that. I didn't know about the dancer part, but yeah. No, yeah, I, I, yeah, I not, believe yeah, that, that there's definitely. Yeah, I believe that there's a long. I believe that that tradition of having a dancer play a martial artist is not exactly unheard of. Um, so it sort no, of makes sense because, like you said, that physical presence is there. And I heard she always lobbied to do, you know, all of her stunts that that they that they let her do that weren't too insane. So yeah, makes and, sense. And it's. Well, well, just real quick, and, and talking about like how the women in film and how they're like, oh, there's only way that she could be this physical if she was possessed by a ninja. <laughs> I feel like they they kind of they kind of did that to them. They kind of the net 
The negative things in the movie that we see due to that are very obvious. So, for example, you know the scene where she walks out of the gym and, like, there are these goons that, by the way, were just at the gym pawing right. on this woman in, a, in, in an alley. And there's, like, 40 people there watching. Just yep. watching. And then she's. And yeah, and then she's like, break it up, you guys. And then, like, <laughs> you know, they're like, no, now we're going to paw at you. And by pawing, I mean, that's what they would call it in the 80s now. It's literally sexual assault, as it should be. <laughs> now, nah, but, but what happens? She's possessed by a ninja, so she whoops all their asses. I would have liked Rips it better. Rips the bar off the fence. Yeah. Yeah, that was sick. I would have liked it if she was just a badass and did that. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would have been better. I think I would have cheered for her more. Now I'm just like, oh, you got lucky. If not, you would have been assaulted with 50 onlookers. That's what the plot is essentially telling me, as opposed to the plot saying, this woman's a badass. If you mess with a woman like this, you're going to get your ass whooped. And you deserve it. Like that is something that I would have found a, found a little bit better. But and there's a lot of damsel in distress kind of scenes in this. And and I'm like, pick pick your poison. Either she's tough as nails right. or she's weak. And I, I I mean, they pick someone who I I felt was pretty tough. And yeah. And then when they try to turn her into damsel, I'm like, Ugh, why? You know. And I'm not being, you know. And I understand it's the time, but I don't buy that. I mean, the '80s wasn't that long ago. Come on. I, I just right. I, I, I didn't. And really. that it would be. Yeah. And as Jason said, there'd be a lot of movies not too long after this that wouldn't have damsel in distress women. Um, I, I know one of the things that I got a sense of disappointment from a few of the actors in the movie. I guess there was an original in the original ending for it. Um, she actually kills the bad ninja like after he comes out of her. She kills him. And it's supposed to be this like thing to show like, oh, she's this time that she has spent like operating as him. She has gained the skills and Mm -hmm. she has now become a ninja. That sounded like uh, that would have been a really cool, empowering ending to it, right? That also a good ending. Like she does all this, (laughs) right? 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 And then it just you're right. It it devolves into damsel in distress, and then show gets to kill him. Even though that is a pretty badass killing at the end, but it would have been a lot cooler if she did that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's this. So if I were to rank these movies, uh, the trilogy, Revenge of the Ninja is easily the best. This one comes in second place, and then like uh, <laughs> Enter the Ninja. Enter the Ninja's <laughs> just got a lot of holes in it, in my opinion. But I give it a break, I guess, because it just started out. This movie, a lot of times I'm watching, I'm like, you should know better. You you should come on. Come on, guys. Also, another thing, what's up with her apartment? Where does she live? Does she live oh, in a yes. locker room? Does she live in, a, so in a factory? Like, where does she live? Like, this is like 80s style gone crazy. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever right, seen well, the movie Wall Street. You know the movie mm-hmm. Wall Street? Like oh, yeah. the apartment oh, when yeah. he gets rich, the apartment, he redesigns his apartment and it looks god awful it looks like a (laughs) postmodernist vomit it's absolutely (laughs) terrible this is my wife speaking through me who's the architect but she was like what the hell is going on then we watch then we watch you know ninja three and she's like i don't even know what this is like she's got a sink in the middle of the room there's a fence there there's what 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 the hell like where does she live to me that her bed is in a squat rack that's what it looks like to me yes yeah, it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane. <laughs> and the other one other thing that I like about her her apartment that seemed to me a nod to I was just talking about this with someone. So she has that great futon in there that you know where we get the uh the legendary V8 scene that we haven't even talked about yet. But uh remember in like the 80s the futon like remember futons when they were considered like luxury furniture and not yeah. like the cheap crappy thing you get at Walmart when you get your first college apartment. <laughs> I don't know, Mike, they were luxury. They were luxury when we were in Geneseo. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, I was just reading uh, whether the fortune or misfortune. I'll let our listeners decide to read American psycho. And uh, a lot of it's set in the eighties and a significant part of that book is talking like, dropping talking about expensive things that these yuppies have and name brand dropping 
and it's like all futons, all futons. And I'm just trying to remember a world where you would expect in like a rich person's home, you'd walk into their bedroom and, ooh, you have a futon and not like, oh, you have a futon. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Were they nicer back then or was it just the novelty? I don't know. Probably she had, right. She has a futon. That's what it looked like in her apartment, along with the arcade game that I, I don't know, like, is arcade a big part of her life? Like, are video games a big part of her life? Yeah, I basically, no, I, I, there's no way she couldn't have that many interests. She's an aerobic instructor. She's working <laughs> for the communication company. She's way too busy she's trying to find love. She's just right. Right. She's just got a, you know, she's got a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, Jay, let me ask you this. What? A, so this may be the most movie, excuse me, the most music-filled film of the uh, that we've done since Last Dragon. There's a lot mm-hmm. of music in this, and it's uh-huh. all, especially in the first half, all seems very geared towards like describing the plot that's happening at that point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I almost enjoyed just listening to the music as much as, you know, like when the, again, are these toughs in the gym are just ogling all the uh, the aerobics instructors and aerobics people. Uh, <laughs> and then just the, the V8 scene, like we get a, some really interesting songs in this. So, yeah, it, and again, it, it's it's more off put like it's another thing that kind of you know, makes the movie stick out more, but you know what I mean? Like in a, it makes it even more strange that this soundtrack it doesn't help sell anything. It just is another thing where you're just like, okay, <laughs> okay. Should we get into why V8? Well, didn't she say she didn't drink? I, I don't recall. Soda. Uh, yeah. I yeah. love that part. She just, cause it's a kind of when you meet her and someone offers her a soda and she's like, literally is like, I do not touch that stuff. She was like angry at the person for offering, uh, soda she and said so, quote i had to write this down because i love this quote she said yeah. i i don't use soft drinks yes that's what it is okay. <laughs> i love I don't that use line. soft drinks yeah I'm use them for what for 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 hydration for nourishment i guess uh, in 1984 uh, these things were two steps away from fentanyl <laughs> yes, clearly. <laughs> I, I don't use them as foreplay. That's I think what right. she meant. <laughs> but V8, V8's foreplay all the way. V8's foreplay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not good foreplay. That's that stuff stains. It's tomato juice. Come on. Like I don't know. Unless you're hooking up with a skunk, like I see no reason to use tomato juice. Come on. <laughs> she made it. So just some again, another behind the scenes for our audience. I think Dom was the first one of the group of us to see this movie or to watch this movie prior to, or at least watch it recently prior to us, you know, getting ready and recording this episode. And Dom had commented in there, uh, you know, I, now I, now I want a V8 for some reason. And I had never seen this before. I'd maybe seen bits or pieces of it. So I had no idea what he was talking about. And I could just say in my wildest dreams of how V8 would be used in this movie, like this wasn't even close to I, I think I saw like I looked up like Ninja 3 V8 and saw some like stills and it almost looked like the one I saw is where she's like pouring it or about to pour it on her throat. But like in the quick flash, it looked like it was like a V8 can through the throat. And I'm like, oh, all right, this is like typical canon thing where, oh, somebody's going to get tracheotomied with a V8. But <laughs> no, this <laughs> No, it was it, it's a you know it's an aphrodisiac. V eight, get his penis straight or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Dom Draper worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I really uh, want to know. Like, did V eight <laughs> did sales? Uh, did they spike after this movie? Was this like a big selling point? I, for I don't them? think this movie was that popular. Like in retrospect, we're like, oh, it's great, but I don't think like. You know, it wasn't Top Gun. Like, like, come on. Yeah, no. Yeah, they said, you know, Revenge of the Ninja made a a decent amount of money, especially for a canon film. But this underperformed and and they kind of unfortunately blame all the oddities for kind of turning people off. Because I don't think general audiences like 
like you know a bunch of different genres in one movie like oh i'm gonna go see a comedy that's what they want so you get an action movie with ninjas and all of a sudden there's a possession there's uh you know an exorcism scene i mean it's it's all over the place so i just it definitely did not catch on yeah let's speak about for a second let's talk about the exorcism scene because that seemed to come out of nowhere and Mm -hmm. it might be my favorite scene in the movie because me too it's absolutely insane um i'm pretty sure that in that guy's office or whatever his place of business there i'm pretty sure there's some mogwais in there uh, I, I was expecting him to offer one. And there's times. Oh, you mean moment, the guy like, from Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah James yeah. Hong. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's and great. when you hear like all the different like the voices and stuff in her apartment, again, sounded like when the gremlins, like after they eat the after yes, they eat after midnight, you know, when you hear too. the like. Rrr, yeah. Rrr. I like right. I was waiting for gremlins to pop out. So that's like to me, another 80s nod that they just happened to throw in here. They should have just went with it. Like we should have had some. We should have had some gremlins come out. But I, the exorcism scene, is just insane. Because again, so like cool. we have the haunted video games. We have a floating glowing sword, and now we're gonna have a wild exorcism scene. Yeah, and it's really. I mean, they go for it. You know, it's not like they're dipping their toes in horror movie waters. Like. <laughs> It's maybe one of the more crazy exorcism scenes in the 80s. Like, it, it's nuts. I don't have anything to add. I really don't. <laughs> like, like and I, so many I times that... as I was watching this movie, and I'm like, okay, sure. Go go right. on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I heard that supposedly, like, they filmed a scene. I don't know if oh, it's yeah. captured anywhere, but where her head does the like full spin around. Yeah. The Linda Blair. Exorcist they took it out. Around. Right. And they took it out so that it would be R rated and not X rated, which I like, how did the exorcist then not like, cause it's not like the exorcist was a faint of heart movie. I mean, maybe overall there's more blood in here. Yeah. I don't know. But That's a very good question though. I would have, I would have liked to see, just go for it. You know, I mm. also wonder like with Linda Blair, well in this movie or that movie, uh, whether the, the this person is possessed or not, like once your head goes all the way around, uh, uh-huh. I mean, your neck's broken, right? Like, <laughs> isn't that going to kill you? <laughs> well, she's a ninja. I mean, again, she's got magic power. She can do anything. That's true. You know? Okay. Yeah. I, you know what? Answered my own question there. there you By the way, well, well, Dom I, answered it for me. Well, I'd also like to bring up, like, let's talk about. So we're talking about the special effects. We're talking about the plot points. We're talking about the wacky stuff. Let's talk about the good the ninja stuff in this movie, like not the supernatural stuff, but like the weapons, very cool. Like, you know that, you oh, know, yeah. when she goes into the hot tub, which by the way, that scene is a little weird, but she goes into the hot tub <laughs> and she starts making out with the dude. It's- and then she like stabs him with the thing and then slashes the other woman and then mm-hmm. chokes the other one. And I'm like, what? Oh, I was like, that's yeah. wild. I was like, that's what. So <laughs> first of all, like, what is the situation? Is that man like polygamous? Because like he's got these two women pawing all over him. And like, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I'm a specimen, but that guy does not deserve to quote um, Office Space, two <laughs> chicks at the same time. I don't think he's a millionaire, and you saw him. So I'm not sure what's going on there. And then, Listen, ladies so like, like a man in uniform. I'm assuming True. they. I'm assuming they were prostitutes or Me someone too. who owed him a favor or whatever. Right. I'm, I'm assuming they weren't there because of his magnetic masculinity. I'm just throwing it out there. Something. Then serious. she shows up, and they get all jealous. And I'm like, <laughs> like, wait, wait, you guys are are basically just pawing him and ready to jump on him and clearly like you're not his you know his wives or his girlfriends and now you're jealous that another one comes in like what what is happening and they're really jealous they're like who's this bitch <laughs> like you know like what bizarre very bizarre and then she takes them all out and i thought that scene was really really cool after that but it was just it's very odd you know what? My wife watched this movie and she said, was this movie written by a 15 year old boy? Because the, the 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 romantic and sexual interactions seem like they were written by someone that not only never actually had a sexual relationship, but has never really spent a lot of time with the opposite sex, especially an adult version of the opposite sex aside from his mother. Like, seriously, the way the cop flirts. 
I'm like, what the heck? He just sounds like an angry kid. And like, you know, the girl, <laughs> the, the, the the lead woman, she goes from uh-huh. being like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, to let's have, yeah, let's have sex. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, was this written by a, a young boy? Like, it, it really felt like it. Because the action right. scenes really seem like, like they were scene- written by a young boy. Because they're freaking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Focusing on positive stuff, um, I was happy, and maybe I just don't know enough about ninjas. I, I thought the ninja costuming was way better in this movie, too. Like, it, it looked way it more legit really and cool. functional and not just ridiculous, you know, colors and white well, it was black camo it, it was like camo yeah. color which makes sense because they're on a golf course and they're ninjas right yeah yeah that, so you'd want to blend tracks. in with f- foliage not be red against green i don't mean to discuss color theory but red and green clash you know in this case it's like oh green on green that makes sense if yeah it seems way more functional and practical so i, I that was another thing i was like oh okay upgrade right except show would never well he has his like it's interesting that in this one one that he's not really the star. He's just kind of yeah. a side character for most of it and then comes in to save the day at the end. But also, like, right. he never wears the mask, which I assume is some of it that he knows, like, I'm a star now or I want to be a star. So full face, whole movie. You know, I'll put right. this eye patch on to, like, give myself some mystery, but I'm not going back under that mask. You know, I want everybody to see me. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I will say my favorite ninja move in this is right in the beginning when the, I think it's the cop, right? Points the gun at him and he like, this is bad ninja. The black ninja throws the, like, is it a dart or like a, a knife into the barrel of the gun and blows yes. it up? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was the first moment. time that I was like, whoa, this guy's super badass. Well, a lot of that stuff is definitely influential. If you ever if you ever want to talk about a, a deep cut here, when you were kids, you guys ever watched Batman the Animated Series? Oh, on yeah. Fox? That show's great. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. great. It still holds up. I've recently watched a couple episodes. Um, Batman does that all the time in like the 90s and stuff where he'll throw a batarang and the tip will go into the gun and the gun will stall and blow back. And I was like... Batman. <laughs> right. Once again, Batman's a ninja. Um, I don't know who influenced who, but I, one thing I noticed is being a comic book nerd is Batman goes from being a lot campier, puncha puncha, to in the eighties and nineties, he does some crazy stuff with gadgets and gizmos and disappearing and reappearing. Yep. And I'm like, did Batman influence the ninja lore in pop culture, or was it the other way around? Or maybe it was both. Hmm. I don't know. Right. Interesting. Well, I know you've I'm, been really chomping at the bit to do a Batman focused episode. So yes. I think that's something we're going to have to explore when we get into that. I mean, the... it's clearly a martial arts movie. He doesn't have superpowers. He beats the shit out of a lot of people. So it counts. It counts. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I mean, in the Nolan trilogy, it's not only about it's not only like, is he a martial artist? He's a ninja. He's trained right. as a ninja. Yeah. Right. So, like, it honestly, Batman Begins is a ninja movie, like, if you want to put it that way. The ninjas are bad guys. He's just it a is. very theatrical ninja. <laughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, guys, I think, that, again, there's a lot that we could talk about this movie, especially since this movie seems to be, like, six movies in one. But <laughs> I am really, really interested in what our professor here is going to give us in the realm of science in this uh, very scientifically grounded movie. So, uh, Dr. Dom, if you're ready, let's, I would love to hear your science segment. All right, cue the music. <laughs> and he'll definitely leave. This is staying. Yeah, in. leave this in. Leave this oh, in. Yeah. We wish you were here. Science. <laughs> acapella time, acapella. Okay, so. So just by the way, for starters, what's going to happen is every episode during Jason's segment, he's going to try to guess what my segment is about. This one was a tough one because there's not a lot of science and not a lot of realism in it. I was thinking of talking about how healthy V8 is for you. though. <laughs> thought about that a lot. But then <laughs> does it really thought about that a lot? I love it. Does it help your posture like in those old 80s commercials? OK, so I decided. <laughs> Let's talk about how, because the ninja has some crazy ninja powers, but let's talk about some of the more showy ones. In one scene, uh, he catches a golf ball or picks up a golf ball, I can't remember, and crushes it with his bare hands. 
And another one, when he kills one of the cops, by the way, just doing his job, he takes a, I believe it's a red billiard ball. It's she, actually, in this case, it's the woman, and crushes it with her hand. All right. Now, mm-hmm. now I paid attention to that. I was hoping you were going to talk about she this. Doesn't, she doesn't flex her wrist. She doesn't move her wrist at all. It's just her fingers and the billiard ball gets crushed. So the question now becomes how impo- not is that possible? I'm going to tell you right now. It's not possible. <laughs> the question now becomes how impossible is it? Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about what a billiard ball is and let's talk about what, what, what muscles were being used. So if you are not moving your wrist, just moving your fingers to crush something, the primary muscles you're using are what are called the flexor digitorum superficialis and the flexor digitorum profundus. These are two muscles and they're located on, um, so like if you were to hold your your arm out, palm up, they'd be facing up as well. We call that anterior, right? And you can try this. You can touch the front of your forearm and then close your fist and you'll feel them clench. Okay. The, the superficialis is the larger one. It's on, it's, it's more outside, hence the term superficial. And the other one profundus means deep. And they work to um, close your fingers. One closes your fingertips and the other one closes your fingers entirely. So let's assume they would work together. Any other muscles that would be used would be the flexors of the thumb, which would be the flexor pollicis longus and the flexor pollicis a brevis pollux is your thumb, right? So those aren't huge muscles right there. So to generate that amount of force, the amount of force to break a billiard ball is pretty impressive. Now let's talk about what a billiard ball is. So billiard balls have been around since the 1800s. They used to make them out of ivory and now they make them out of phenolic resin, which is basically a plastic like polymer. And this stuff is tough. So if you want to figure out what it takes for a solid to break, you have to look at the yield properties. It's yield strength, essentially. And that's how much force does it take for that to be put for for, for it to be deformed and not recoil back? Because there's lots of things that if you push down on it, it'll go boing and come back. And that doesn't really count. So it's like, where is the yield? How much force does it take for it to be bent or broken and not spring back? And actually, I was going to do the math, but the um, one of the companies. So actually, I found out that a lot of billiard balls are actually made in Belgium. So there's a very prominent company yeah. in Belgium. Yeah, <laughs> Belgium. I believe it's called um, Aramith. And they say that their billiard balls can resist up to five tons of pressure. Five tons. So that means that this ninja with only the muscles in uh, with only a couple muscles. So there's one muscle in the, in the front of your hand or the anterior side of your hand. That's the flexor pollicis brevis. And then a few muscles in the forearm, the flexor pollicis longus and the two flexor digitorum muscles. Those muscles alone had to generate five tons of force. And by the way, kind of effortlessly in order to break that billiard ball. So, like, I was trying to figure out how big your muscles would need to be in order to do that. I can't even even do that. I can tell you this, though. Five tons in your hand would break the bones in your wrist and your arm. There's no way. (laughs) So this ninja is super (laughs) duper duper strong. And not only is her are her muscles super strong also her body has super structural integrity there is no way a human being could ever crush a pool uh, billiard ball with their hand it's it's nuts <laughs> and that was a lot of fun i actually i consulted the physicist that i, I work with and we uh we were trying to calculate the exact number and it, and we came up with something around five tons so the website wasn't lying that billiard nice. you can't yeah you can't crush those balls they are they're rock solid pretty impressive <laughs> Yeah, you know, it reminded me of uh, of a movie we talked about previously, Drunken Master, where he's practices cracking the walnuts. And I'll say, like, ever since having watched that, you know, here and there, I'll see a walnut and I'll give it like a squeeze. And of course, there's no give at all. And I right. think, nah, well, that, next time I'll train on this. And yeah, but that's so what I saw wood. in this not, movie. Not a, not a resin polymer, right. like a solid, <laughs> a solid lump of resin. No, there's no way. <laughs> Dom, would the Incredible Hulk be able to smash this? 
Um, that depends on how much force it can generate with those muscles. I never asked him. He, he just kind of grunts, you know, and goes, oh, I figured you would have one of these like scientific. The Hulk has this type of force. And the Hulk makes no, okay. The Hulk makes no sense. The Hulk makes no <laughs> sense because no, 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 no. I like the Hulk. I think what? it's a great, Are you I, kidding think, me? I think the incredible Hulk is a great character. It's a statement about anger and rage. It's also like a fantasy, a very cathartic fantasy about, oh, no, I'm pick, picked on. Now I turn into a monster and smash everyone. Hooray. You know, like, the, I like <laughs> the Incredible Hulk. But, like, the idea, like, in order for him to be as strong as he is, he can't be made of, like, human flesh. Like, he'd have to be made of something else. Like, Superman, like who knows what he's made of and he's charged by the sun so I, i'll let that one go a little bit more but the hulk i don't know like like also how does he gain mass mass this doesn't come from nowhere like i'm, I'm gonna stop because like i got a lot <laughs> i could talk about this for an hour yeah so you're just another oh, time yes do we have I, any comic podcasts on the launcher door because i'll be happy to go in and ruin their day by talking about how the Ooh, if we don't we should we should yeah i know to do it yeah. this all right, so many uh, future grounds to go. Well, that was fantastic, Dom. And I, the instant I saw him just smash the golf club, I was I literally at my on my couch rubbing my hands thinking, oh, I hope Dom tells me how possible this is. <laughs> so I assume golf club is also not at the same level. I don't think they're as, uh, as solid, but I have to imagine that's also impossible to break. Well, what is it? I don't remember the golf club. He breaks a golf ball, but does oh, he that's ball? what yes. I mean. The golf ball. The ball. Yeah, I mean. I, I'm saying club and ball. That, yeah. Ladies um, and gentlemen, we're recording this at three in the morning, and that's the reason that I'm. <laughs> and and <laughs> I have my baby with me, and, and I have. I yeah, have I'm not the one with three months old. <laughs> this, this is why he's the professor. Well, again, it, it, uh, okay, Dan I'm going to jump. Delivered. I'm going to jump in and say, if there was a part of this where you heard no talking from me, it's because it was on mute because he was crying, or I left the room. Because I thought he crapped his pants, but apparently he just had gas. So it was a false alarm. So thanks a lot, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> he says, you no. always astound me, Dr. <laughs> DeMore. And you've all just heard again. Once again, what we bring you that no one else does is university level science and education that you're getting for free. So <laughs> thank you again. Uh, all right, guys. So this was the last film in the trilogy. Thank I'm God. Interested in I mean, what? Some final <laughs> thoughts here. <laughs> Well, let's talk about where does this. Oh, go ahead. I was a closing thought on this one is we've been talking about uh, breaking balls, basically, and we have a a female lead. So that I think that's the subtle subtext there is we're we're breaking balls because the the ladies are taking over at the end of the series. (laughs) They're going to take us into new realms. Nice. Uh, Tom, final thoughts on this movie or the trilogy as a whole? Oh, the trilogy as a whole, man. This is some campy. This is some campy shit. Like, like I like some B movies, but like, I'm just surprised that the ninjas that we grew up with, like you said, Storm Shadow, the Ninja Turtles, all those cool ninjas, and and just the whole ninja ninja stuff, and even the bad ninja movies, like Three Ninjas or Beverly Hills Ninja or any of that stuff. (laughs) like came from this i'm still astonished by it i'm still astonished because i i don't honestly before i met you clowns i didn't know anyone who's ever seen these movies (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's i so i'm glad that we started with these right like when i had the concept when we had the concept to start or do a ninja theme month uh we could have gone a bunch of different directions right like movies or shows or stuff that we grew up with that was great um you know newer ninja things and uh, and i'm glad that we started here one because clearly we love canon and the importance of these films which uh, you know i'm really glad we had chris and grady come on and share kind of some of that background that i think helped clarify for those of us that really were watching movies well after these were out to help understand kind of where these spurred things along uh it's interesting right and i'm excited uh as a preview for our next episode uh, our final one in ninja november we're going to get into a movie that for children of the 80s and 90s like us specifically was one of the most important films uh, at least for me the 1990 teenage mutant ninja turtles movie and this the as we said you know as dom said as i said you know, Ninja Turtles, Storm Shadow, and Snake Eye, like, this is where my image of ninjas comes from. 
the Ninja Turtles, uh, you know, everything that I love about martial arts, aside from like my uncle watching Bruce Lee movies when I was a kid, it was really watching Ninja Turtles. And I think it's fun and it'll be fun to look at that movie that I think is fantastic. And I'm super excited for us to talk about um, in light of having seen this trilogy, kind of knowing where this sat you know, where ninjas were in the American pop culture leading up to that, to talk about, you know, how ninjas transformed into this iconic piece of American pop culture that's, again, still going today. There's still comics, TV shows, they're still pumping out at least, like, Netflix movies. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, this was fun. It's how many of these canon ninja films I'll go back and watch again? You know, well, Revenge, I will. Revenge was great. I, yeah, again, same. I really like yeah. this one. Um, enter, I guess, if I have to. But <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, uh, yeah. All right. Any, so before we wrap this up, guys, do either of you have any, uh, anything else you want to add? Maybe you left out about the canon ninja trilogy in general otherwise let's bring this one home i think you gentlemen already covered it very well i'm i'm right on the same page i will say this interesting i will say i will say this the only ninja movie worse than this than than enter the ninja that i've seen is the very end of peewee herman's big adventure when they do a movie (laughs) that reenacts his life and a bunch of ninjas <laughs> jump him and steal his bike. <laughs> that is great. That's it. So there you go. I don't need to watch the movie. I lived it. <laughs> I had it. to offer applause. That is fantastic. Yes. yes. Well, another Thank bit of ninja that lore that we'll have to make sure we call that out on social media during this. There's a lot of realm that uh, ideally... Over Ninja November, you'll get a lot of ninja fun from us, both in these episodes and then through our social media. Um, Also, uh, make sure while you're enjoying these Ninja November hits that you're also checking out our Lunch and Podcast Network buddies uh, over the Beer Review Journal, Food About Town, uh, Mimosas with Besties, and of course, our friends at Anomaly, who by the time you're listening to this, the 2022 festival was already here. And uh, I'm sure like the earth has been shattered with the awesomeness of it. So if you missed it, this is just us shaming you because I can already tell you it it was awesome. So, (laughs) uh, but 2023 anomaly will be here. So get ready for that and listen to their podcast in the meantime. Otherwise uh, guys, it's been a fun one. And uh, now we need to get ready. We need to eat some pizza and explore the sewers and get ready for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles until next time. This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network.